You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and I am an holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. If you've got back pain, listen up and stay tuned for today's show. We are talking all about back health, proper mechanics, movements, and strategies to work through back pain with Dr. Stuart McGill, author of Back Mechanic, The Secrets to a Healthy Spine Your Doctor Isn't Telling You. Dr. Stuart McGill is Distinguished Professor Emeritus after 32 years at the University of Waterloo, Canada, who authored over 240 scientific journal papers, four books, and mentored over 40 graduate students during this scientific journey. Investigations in the laboratory, training center, and research clinic probed back injury and pain mechanisms, rehabilitation approaches, and performance training. As a consultant, he has provided expertise on low back injury to various government agencies, many corporations, and legal firms, and hundreds of professional and international athletes and teams worldwide. He is regularly referred special patient cases from the international medical community for opinion. His books include Back Mechanic, written for the lay public with pain, and this is also in 20 languages. Low Back Disorder, third edition, written for clinicians, Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance, written for coaches and athletes, and Gift of Injury, a manual for rehabilitating the back-injured strength athlete. Such a relevant, relevant topic as so many people suffer with back pain. We talk about why, why a solution to back pain is so elusive for many people. What are some common myths surrounding back pain? Why do we need to pay special attention to movement patterns? This and so much more. Anyone who suffers or who has suffered from back pain knows how debilitating it can be. Stay tuned and get informed on how to create a great, healthy back. Everyone will be back in just a few minutes. Sun don't shine, shine. Too many passing dreams, roll by like limousines. It's hard to keep believing when it pass you by and by.
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show is being recorded, so unfortunately, no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. McGill, welcome to the show. Such a pleasure having you on our show. Well, thank you very much, Kathy, and likewise. I should say honor and a pleasure, for sure. You're a well-sought-after person for your expertise in the field of of back pain. So um, I do appreciate you taking the time. So I want to make sure I take advantage of our time together, and let's get started right in it. Um, we know your bio. We know you've written this wonderful book, uh, The Back Mechanic, that really walks through easily for for the lay person how to uh, address back pain according to what your research has found. Um, But before we get into that, you know, maybe what you should set us up with the very basics of the anatomy of the back so that when you're talking and inevitably referring to certain things, we have an idea of what you're talking about. 
All right. Well, let me just give a little bit of context to uh, that answer. In our world, nonspecific back pain, it really doesn't exist. So people who've been given the diagnosis of nonspecific back pain remain clueless as to what to do. So when we perform an assessment and, and the book guides the reader through an assessment, it helps the person converge on specific activities, motions, postures, loads, etc., that trigger their pain. And then we give them movement hacks to unload those pain triggers and allow the pain to wind down. So given that as a background, you notice I never mentioned anatomy. I didn't talk about discs or facet joints or uh, anything really anatomical. Um, if I said to a person, oh, you've got a wound up right facet joint, uh, th that wouldn't mean a hill of beans to them. <laughs> but if they understood that if they stood tall and locked their knees back hard, that would stress their low back into a little bit of extension and cause the facet joint uh, to uh, ache a little bit. So does that help you in... Um, getting the utility of the approach anatomy and whatnot are for the docs and the therapists and the clinicians. That's good then that we don't have to go down that road, which is even better. Does, do we need a specific diagnosis for back pain? Is that what you're saying? You don't need to know specifically where it's coming from, just how to change movement. Well, the clinician does, and uh, certain readers who have that personality will want to know. They, they are, are lost when they have a, a, a nonspecific diagnosis. And to give that some context, could you imagine going to the doc with a pain in your leg and the doc says you have nonspecific leg pain? You know, <laughs> it doesn't occur and, and people don't put up with it. They perform an assessment and discover whether it's from a burn or a torn knee ligament or a broken bone or a muscle strain or whatever it is. Now that guides the person on what avenue they're going to take. So yes, it is very specific, the pain, but as long as the person knows that if they sit slouched, that triggers their pain. And then when they sit with a rolled up t-shirt in their low back against the backrest, and that takes their pain away, they have a diagnosis now of flexion intolerant back pain, or say they're reaching overhead and changing a light bulb, extending their back, that would be an extension triggered back pain. Um, sitting in the car with the knee straight, uh, if they have pain from the sciatic nerve, for example, might trigger that kind of pain. But if they bent the knee or opened up the hips by adjusting the car seat, uh, etc. Uh, some people have pain. Um, by the character of the pain, we can converge on some specificity. Let me give you an example. Say a person bends forward and ties their shoe or flushes the toilet and they say, I got a, I, I, I had a real spike of pain. In fact, it, it felt like someone put a knife in my back. That is almost always a micro movement 
uh, because the joint has lost stiffness. You know, if you tear a knee ligament, for example, the knee has a laxity to it. Well, when the spine joint has a specific type of uh, injury, uh, it has a laxity uh, as well. And uh, the character of that pain reveals this. Uh, they get a movement catch when they move a certain way or rotate and twist or sneeze or something that for a normal person seems very benign. However, we then would know that uh, they should start doing stabilization exercises, not mobilization exercises, but stabilization exercises to take out those micro movements and make them resilient and not experience the uh, micro movement pain triggers. But the next person uh, might be overly stiff and a mobility approach would work for them. So you see what is poison for one individual is the cure for uh, the other. But that's the beauty of this uh, movement-based uh, assessment approach. Outside of, of an accident or disease, is resolving back pain most often a matter of correcting movement patterns that we have learned throughout our lives? I wouldn't say learned throughout our lives, but first of all, the, answer, the short answer is yes. If, uh, as the book guides them through a series of tests, imagine sitting down on a stool. If the person sits down with their ears over their shoulders and their shoulders over their hips and their spine is tall, in other words, they've stacked their spine, and then they were to grab the seat pan of the stool and pull up, say, 20 pounds per side, if that didn't trigger their pain, we already know that particular posture is safe. It doesn't trigger pain. But if they become, you know, chest proud and a peacock and lift their chest up and that triggers their pain, we now have a very specific idea that what is causing that? Um, is it that they are uh, walking with a lot of lordotic curve in their low back? Or are they doing specific types of Pilates or yoga exercises, extending their back. And I'm, please don't misinterpret me to say that yoga or Pilates causes back pain. I'm just saying that for certain people, those exercises might be done at too high a dosage or too high a volume. Um, so it might be an inappropriate exercise program. It might be an occupation uh, it might be clothing and, and footwear, believe it or not. Um, it might be they sit at a computer for eight hours, and th there's not much you can do if you sit at a computer for eight hours. The cumulative stress over that time will sensitize some back tissues in many people, particularly if they have stiff hips and other cofactors uh, in their body. You brought in the hips here. And what stands out to me, because I've been trying to put into practice, going through your book, doing the exercises, what should seem almost intuitive is it was like an aha moment for me, was the fact that I felt that I was using my hips and my back incorrectly. They were one was doing the job of another where my hips were supposed to be a lever and taking I was curving my back. And 
to me, when I realized it makes a whole bunch of sense that the hips are the lever, it was like this huge aha moment. Is that just an anomaly for me? Or do we use our hips and our backs in the, the absolute wrong way? That's a really insightful question. We've done numerous studies of groups of people with back pain and without. If we look at uh, automotive uh, assembly workers, those who have recurrent episodes of disabling back pain use their backs more than they use their hips. In other words, they keep their hips locked and they flex their spines forward with stiff legs to pick up the car parts. Those who never had uh, lost time from work because of back pain used their hips much more uh, than their backs. We see this in sport. We've measured police officers, uh, firefighter groups, groups from the military, and uh, also uh, different sports teams as well. And the generalization that those who use their hips are more resilient from back pain and higher performers, which is interesting. And the ones who have back pain use their backs more and they are not as good a performer. Is that a lack of mobility in the hips or is that just an incorrect movement pattern or maybe a combination of the two? Well, now it depends on the person. If the person is starting to get a little bit of hip arthritis, and there are many uh, tests for that, then uh, if they sat upright in a chair or in the car, they would feel a pinching at the front of their hip. Uh, So they open up the hip joint, and now they have to slouch. And uh, could you imagine putting your socks on, as an example, with a stiff hip? You can't reach your foot, so you have to use your back and Mm -hmm. really push to get your sock on. Whereas if you had very mobile hips, it would be very easy uh, to pull your uh, foot up to the uh, level where you could easily put your sock on. So... Uh, for example, we see people in occupations who uh, many times a day, they step up onto a step. You can think of a person in and out of a vehicle uh, as an example, or moving up a step uh, repeatedly at work um, versus, uh, let's see now, uh, well, someone who has a little bit of uh, hip arthritis, which might be an overuse injury, uh, that could stiffen it as well. But there are many uh, scenarios that can lead to uh, stiff hips. And you might find this interesting, uh, Kathy, as well. Um, if we look at the incidence of orthopedic hip disease, uh, have you ever heard of uh, hip dysplasia? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, there are people, uh, dogs get hip dysplasia where the hip socket is a little bit shallow and the head of the femur, the top of your leg bone, slips out of the socket a little bit. Well, the highest rate of hip dysplasia among uh, at least the Caucasian uh, Europeans is in Poland. But isn't it interesting that they can squat the deepest? They have the greatest hip mobility. Um, now, Uh, If we went across Europe to the uh, far Western Europe, the Celtic nations of Scotland and Ireland, you'll notice that they have the highest rate of hip 
um, FAI, femoral acetabular impingement, because genetically they tend to have deeper hip sockets. So when they sit, there's more stress uh, in the hips, whereas the typical Eastern European hip, which is, it shouldn't surprise you that that's where a lot of the Olympic lifters come from who have tremendous power in the deep squat. Whereas the uh, deeper hip socket has uh, the power in the top half of the squat. So there's an example. You know, if I said this, you might find it interesting. Genetics loads the gun, exposure pulls the trigger, and psychosocial factors influence the person's reaction to that pain. So, you know, some people who just grin and bear it and get through the pain and quite often make the whole situation worse versus the next person, they have a slight little hiccup with their back and they're, they're laying in bed. So the, or we uh, look at some of the uh, social influences, for example, I've said or had discussions with many uh, patients over the years. I'll say, you know, uh, if you could walk short interval walks, 10 minutes, three or four times a day, this would really feed your back the signals it needs to adapt to be pain-free. So go for a walk after dinner and they look at me and they say, I can't go for a walk outside after dinner. I don't feel safe in my neighborhood. So do you see there would be uh -huh. a social impediment? And if we don't deal with the psychosocial as well as all of these physical factors, then we will fail as well. So a large part of what we do is we, through an interview process, is go through their past history and why they have failed previous clinical attempts. Because if we don't address those impediments, then we will fail as well. Interesting. Well, let me ask you this then. This may seem like a very naive question. Uh, the hips hinge. What is the actual purpose or function of the back? Well, uh, it, it, obviously, there's, there's, there's many functions. The torso is the only segment in the linkage, if you think of the linkage of the legs and the arms. It's the only torso that doesn't have a hard bone in it. Um, so it increases efficiency of movement. Um, it allows us to dance. It allows us to have sex and pre procreate. It allows us to um, bend and tie our shoes and all of these things in a very efficient way. Um, Not for heavy lifting, though, right? The well, uh, that's, that, that, that's where I was just trying to go. Uh -huh. So if you don't have a load on your back and you're just moving around, use the motion that's in the flexible spine. But now say you're a stay at home, or not a stay at home mom, just a mom. And you're going to pick your, your baby out of the crib. It's two o'clock in the morning. You're half sleepy. Um, for some people, that is a tremendous sp uh, spine trigger. If they lock their back in neutral, hinge forward through the hips, pull the baby across the crib mattress to their torso, and then, as you have astutely pointed out, use the hips as the lever, their backs are bulletproof. They're very resilient. But if they used their spines to lift the baby, uh, if they had 
say something like a posterior disc bulge or a little bit of joint laxity, that could trigger an acute attack. So it depends on the person. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, th th there's a little bit of uh, an essay, I suppose, of when it's fruitful to use their back to create efficient movement when you're not under load. But if you're under load, use the hips. What, is, what are some of the biggest myths when you're looking or treating somebody, they come into you and <clears throat> this is the stretch I was told to do and this is the stretch and, and you have to say, oh, no, no, <laughs> that's just not the way it's supposed to be. What are the biggest myths you've encountered? Well, one of the biggest ones is one size fits all, and it doesn't. You've, uh, you're, you're familiar with people who they say, if I sit in the computer <clears throat> for uh, 20 minutes, I get real debilitating back pain, sciatica down my leg, etc. But if I go for a walk for 20 minutes, it takes my pain away. Then the next person who's 65 or 70 years old comes in and says, you know, I sitting down gives me relief. Uh, going for a walk is what triggers my pain. So there's an example of there's no such thing as nonspecific back pain. It, clinically, we can't even talk about back pain. It's just that there's a pain in the back. It's the mechanism that is so specific. So that is uh, one myth. Uh, some people think, oh, I'm 30 years old. I've got this very fragile feeling back. I'm, what am I going to be like when I'm 70? Uh, well, the truth of that one is most people, as they get older, those micro movements stiffen up the joint gristles. Their back pain goes away. Think of how many people, uh, they go talk to their parents or they remember their parents with acute episodes when they were in their 30s and 40s. They haven't had an acute episode for years. It stiffens out. So there's another uh, myth, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, here's one that a lot of people will enjoy. Um, take the typical patient who's been told you've tried everything the last thing for you is surgery. They've tried therapy. Uh, they've been to the chiropractor. They've been to the psychologist. They've seen the surgeon. And now they say, well, you've failed all of these conservative approaches. The last thing for you is surgery. We did a study. Um, I, I started a, an experimental research clinic when I was uh, at the university, and it ran for just over 15 years. We followed up with every patient we ever saw, Kathy. After two years of follow-up, those who were in the category of being told, the last thing for you is surgery. You failed at everything else. We gave them the back mechanic approach, and 95% of them uh, avoided surgery, and in a two-year follow-up, were glad that they did. Mm -hmm. So there's a real myth buster. Well, it seems that uh, you know the no one size fits all is not treated. Is we're not, it's not being treated that way, right? I mean, I think. Uh, you've mentioned it. I've seen it firsthand. There, there are three or four exercises that are given, you know, bend at the hips, roll your back, um, and you just can't do all these things. So uh, maybe that's the biggest point to come out of here is you can't just go and do these exercises that are kind of the standard. But when we come back, what I want to do is go over posture and things like that, and maybe some little tips you can give everyone uh, at home to try and develop a, a good healthy back so everyone will be back in just a couple of minutes I'm not about to give up because I heard you say 
There's gonna be brighter days. There's gonna be brighter days. I won't stop. I'll keep my head up. No, I'm not here to stay. There's gonna be brighter days. There's gonna be brighter days. I just might bend, but I won't break. As long as I can see your face. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Stuart McGill, talking about back pain, and we're going to get into his book because I think there's no better way to give you an understanding of what Dr. McGill has accomplished and how many people he's helped than just taking you through the book that he wrote just for you people. But first off, um, let's talk about posture. What is proper posture and why is that so important in avoiding back pain? Well, again, posture needs a context. Proper posture is the one that doesn't trigger pain. So you could imagine if you were standing and I asked you to slouch your shoulders forward, poke your chin forward, 
round your spine down a little bit and stand there for 20 minutes, you will have uh, very fatigued low back muscles. And people will say, oh, really? Uh, And then not only is proper posture something that conserves the uh, joints and muscle usage, but proper posture is a posture that continually changes. Let me give you an example of that. If you laid in bed in one position, after a period of time, you would experience discomfort. If you ignored that discomfort and don't move, that discomfort turns to pain. If you ignore that pain and you still don't change your posture, you will become injured. You will develop bed sores. So there is an example of the discomfort to pain to injury because of either an inappropriate posture or a failure to change posture. So sitting, for example, uh, sit in a way Uh, well, let's give one example where they might sit upright in a chair. If you do that, you use a lot of torso muscles and hip muscles to maintain that posture, which is fine. It unloads the discs of the spine, etc. But after uh, 10 or 15 minutes, the torso muscles will be very fatigued. So now it's time to lean back and use the chair back, um, etc. So you get the idea that posture should be a very dynamic uh, concept. Interesting, which is some of us requires the building of muscle if we're trying to correct it. Um, and one interesting thing in the book that uh, I've actually been doing, too, is with my abs. And, and you talk about strength versus endurance and the misconception there of what is needed for proper back health. But you're not talking about for back health uh, developing a six pack. You're talking about um, like one of your exercises to put your fingers into your sides and push out. Uh, and I found that very interesting too. What is the what is the direct way that the abs are going to be affecting proper back health? Right. Well, we've already covered the concept that the spine is a flexible rod. It allows us to move in different directions. But if you were to pick up a bag of groceries in each hand, uh, a flexible rod is no longer the ideal structure to carry the load. No engineer would stack a bunch of oranges on top of one another and then ask it to bear load. What they do is they put on guy wires on that flexible rod. Can you, you can imagine like a cell phone tower or something like that, where the guy wires connecting to the cell tower at different levels and in different directions down to the ground, make it resilient to wind and storms and all that sort of thing. So, In order for you to have a flexible spine, you now have to develop a guy wire system to stiffen it to allow you to carry your child and pick them up and your groceries and all this sort of thing. So the guy wire system in front of the spine is your abdominal wall. Uh, Now, (laughs) there's quite a bit of controversy here. Some people think, well, a very large protruding abdomen is is a, a bad thing for the back. Well, it may or it may not be. You'll notice that very strong men and women are not thin through the waist. They're rather thick. They have bigger guy wires out at a bigger distance, which adds more stability and allows them to pick up even heavier uh, things. The price they pay is the loss of flexibility. So uh, 
for for most people, uh, adding a little bit of abdominal uh, fitness will re- add more stability and create a more pain-free and resilient spine. But the way that they do it is, is not through dynamic sit-ups. It's more isometric holds. So you've heard of a front plank or uh, laying on your back and raising one leg in the opposite arm, which is called the dead bug, with the low back supported and not imprinted into the ground, would all be examples. Then to your point, uh, to transfer that muscle fitness to support your back when you're standing up doing something, can you imagine placing your fingers now lateral to your navel into the abdominal oblique muscles. So move your fingers around probably about 15 centimeters from the navel and poke them into your belly quite aggressively. Now, push your fingers out by hardening your abdominal muscles, flaring them out laterally. That would be one of the best coaching cues to create the most efficient guy wire system to support your spine while you were taking load. If you're just going for a walk, um, some people will tell the story, oh, I was going for a walk and I stepped into uh, a little bit of an uneven part uh, on the sidewalk and I jarred my back. They had insufficient stiffness. So mild contraction of the abdominals would have prevented that. So there's uh, an example. And I believe we talked about uh, this earlier. Sometimes we will get people with very robust uh, abdominals and they lose a lot of weight and then they get instability characters to the pain in their back. And uh, that's not uncommon, believe it or not. And uh, they didn't keep up with developing the smaller guy wires now to support their back. So for them, losing weight introduced a new type of uh, back pain. Mm. Yeah, it's a constant, uh, a constant thing to do. Any aspect of health is something you've got to be kept up with. Back, back health is no different. Now, I've got your book in my hand, Back Mechanic, The Secrets to a Healthy Spine Your Doctor Isn't Telling You, The Step-by-Step McGill Method to Fix Back Pain. So we talked about back pain being very individualistic. Um, how can people then use your book to get started or cure their back pain? Read it (laughs) and and put the steps into practice. A a funny story on that. Uh, You know, I'd written textbooks for clinicians 30 and 40 years ago. I never thought in a million years I'd write a book for the lay public. Uh, So I'd written my books for clinicians and uh, a couple of uh, book publishing houses came to me and said, oh, we've read your, your book. Would you consider writing one for the lay public? And I, and I thought, oh, this is. And then they said, we want a title, Cure Your Back Pain in Three Easy Steps. And I said, well, you got the wrong guy. That's not possible. <laughs> I'm not doing that. So uh, we had to end up uh, going with a very small publisher and the book is actually 17 chapters stepwise, as you know, the first two or three chapters it dispel some myths and, and give some of the foundational material. Then it guides the person through their self-assessment. Then it shows them the movement tools, the hip hinging and lunging and, and uh, 
etc., using concepts of spine hygiene uh, and then strategic stability and mobility to create this resilient, uh, robust, uh, pain-free body. So uh, that was what I needed to do to guide the lay public. You know, Kathy, and again, we've talked about this as well. Generally, clinicians aren't trained to assess back pain. The average family doc, uh, if they got half a day in their medical training on back pain, uh, they'd be lucky. So uh, most people will have the experience of going to their doc and being told, uh, well, here's an analgesic, uh, but it, it may mask the pain for a while, but it doesn't address the cause. So that's why I had to write uh, back mechanic and uh, try and help people simply because of the void in the traditional healthcare system of getting a thorough assessment that will guide them. Well, and you know, I I think one of I don't know if you have a favorite part because all of them are so interesting, but um, there's a section here. What is the title of it? Spine hygiene, of course. How to sit at a table properly, you know, uh, what, how to sit on a toilet properly, getting up from a chair to standing, um, arms crossed in front versus arms crossed behind your back. So applicable. And these are the things, you know, I, I when my aha, my aha moment actually was this woman brushing her teeth um, and the, her posture bending at the hips versus rounding your back. And it's like, right. Oh, that makes so much sense. And that's why I love the book. Because even how to vacuum properly, um, it's, it's just so relevant to everyday life. And you've even de- designated a chapter for some of the um, uh, back diseases, correct? I'm just trying to find yes. it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, some people will have specific conditions from their doc. Uh, spondylolisthesis, for example, mm-hmm. is a stress fracture common among dancers, gymnasts, uh, figure skaters, uh, and or it might have been a person who fell down the stairs. They get a, a small fracture of the pars bone. And uh, so if you get that diagnosis, what do you do? Um What do you do if you're a little bit older and the character of your pain is now changed to the point where you can't walk very far? And we give them uh, movement strategies, go for a walk and try what we call the park bench decompression. Uh, If you can go for a walk just before the pain starts, go to the back of the bench, rotate your shoulders around and lean your heels of your hands on the back of the bench. And then, as you know, support weight on your hands. Uh, Stay in that position for 20 seconds or so. And many people, not all, but many will find they've just been uh, able to restore their walking capacity pain-free for another five minutes. Well, if you do that four times, you've got now the healthful benefit of walking pain-free for 20 minutes, slowly winding down the pain and restoring the ability to walk. And walking is a big part. Well, it's a whole chat. Well, it's a few pages, but a chapter of your book on the importance of walking. And one, this, um, the rounded upper back, kyphosis. Kyphosis, is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, that's uh, characteristic of many older people now. 
And uh, I mean, I'm I'm in my mid sixties uh, myself, and it's something that I've noticed. I, there's a general tendency to walk with my head protruded and my my chin poked, and uh, every day I do my antikyphosis exercises to uh, stay taller and um, more uh, resilient. Uh, if I could tell you the number of patients over the years, I, I've had uh, Hollywood actors who are concerned about not only their pain and their loss of ability to do their job, but also how they look. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to do the uh, kyphotic exercise that you see in the book there to help them stand more upright with less stress. And, and the uh, marker or metric for that is if you stand upright and reach around and feel your low back muscles, if they're rock hard, that means they're active and supporting a protruding uh, head. But if, if they're able to stand up, lift the chest and pull the ears back over the shoulders and then feel their low back muscles again, they'll notice that they're soft and they're relaxed and they'll say, oh, what an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the muscular backache has just left my back. And I said, well, I didn't do anything. You did it. All you did was stack your mass over your low back. So it, it is such common sense. And, and, you know, posture does make such a difference in appearance. And, you know, it's just, I, as you're, I, you might have heard the thud there, I'm flipping through the book because I just find it so very interesting and so very doable. So, so very doable. And really a book of hope for a lot of people that may have been running out of hope. Where can we get your book? I already have one, but where can other people get your book? We have a website, backfitpro.com. And if they go on there, they'll see the books. And Back Mechanic is the one to guide the lay person. It's also on different vendors like Amazon around the world, uh, uh, et cetera. But backfitpro.com. Uh, or Amazon. If people go to BackFit Pro, uh, say they're struggling a little bit and they want to find a clinician trained in our approaches. There's one page on the uh, website of the uh, clinicians who have been uh, certified in the top level. We call them the master clinicians are are listed there as well. And uh, some people uh, appreciate uh, being directed to these uh, experts. Oh, absolutely. You know, as you mentioned, you know, some people last resort is surgery and um, having this as an alternative and a, and a hopeful, you know, sidestepping of surgery is, is wonderful. That it's, it's, yeah. it's great. So I have I've gone through and read the whole book. I definitely have learned a ton and uh, incorporate daily back exercises. Um, you know, it's just it's so very important. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, as I mentioned, I know you're so very busy and and your oars are in so many different waters. (laughs) So so thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. And Kathy, thank you so much for all that you do as well. Oh, thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.